Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. And welcome to Crime and Spirits, your new favorite true crime and cocktail podcast. I'm your host, Bree. And I'm your other host, Suze. We're best friends who are obsessed with true crime, and we love a good-themed cocktail. So, we took our two favorite things and turned them into a podcast. Every Sunday, we release a new episode covering a different case or topic of interest. I'm the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits, so every time we get together, I mix up a drink that ties into the episode in some way, shape, or form, and then I teach you how to make one for yourself. That way, you can sip right along with us. We like to keep things conversational around here, so expect some tangents on occasion, as well as some cursing here and there. Think of us as a cross between Dateline and Girls' Night. So, come hang out with us every week while we learn a little something new together. We love to chat with you about whatever, really, but mostly true crime. You better buckle up, Buttercup. And sip tight. Let's get on with the show. Woo! Hello, hello. Welcome to Crime and Spirits. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. We are your hosts, and we are very happy that you could join us today, as always. We love having you. We love being here. My favorite day of the week. It really is. Me and too. And it's been a long week so far, and it's not even over yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So long I'm week. super excited to be here. However, today's topic is a little heavy. It is. Forewarning. Uh, we're going to be diving into the death of Conrad Roy III and the subsequent trial of Michelle Carter. On July 13th, 2014, Conrad took his own life, seemingly at the behest of his girlfriend, Michelle. Now, some of you may recognize the story. There's been a few documentaries released over the last few years. Hulu also recently produced a dramatized miniseries based on the case. The Girl from Plainville. Yeah. With, uh, what's her face? One of the Fanning sisters. I wondered why she looked familiar. Yep. I didn't watch it. I I did not, but I've seen the preview about 10,000 times. So (laughs) I first learned about this case from the I Love You Now Die. Um, It was equally as difficult to learn about then. As it was now, (laughs) but if you're not familiar, buckle up because this one really is a roller coaster. This case is essentially centered around two mentally ill teenagers and the consequences of their actions, which were dire. Very, very serious. It's really fucking sad. Yes. What I, however, as is the case with most of these situations, there is an intriguing element to it. And in this situation, for me, it's the trial. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we went from a confirmed suicide to manslaughter charges against a 17-year-old girl. Right. Ultimately, this case comes down to texts sent to and from Michelle Carter and whether her words impacted Conrad's decision to a point of earning her, earning some culpability in his death. Which uh, sounds wild. It sounds insane. And it is. But it's true. True hard facts here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So regardless of Michelle's guilt or the way you feel about it, she still made some vulgar comments to a very vulnerable person, some of which we are going to share with you today. They're kind of awful. So um, additionally, there will also be a fair amount of discussion about things like depression, anxiety and suicide in today's episode. We're going to talk about um, what that looks like on a day to day basis. And those conversations are never easy to have or to listen to. So Trigger warning is definitely warranted. 
please just keep in mind that a lot of what we talk about, just in a general sense, are sensitive topics and aren't suitable for all listeners. For some, this episode may be bothersome. And if that is the case, we totally get it. Mm -hmm. If it's not your vibe, we'll catch you next time. I had a moment today where I was finishing things up in preparation for this episode where I looked at Mark and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually record this because I had to stop and cry so many times while researching and reading and writing and it was very hard to even start the research because Mm -hmm. I sort of knew a little bit about the case but then once I started to dig into things a little bit more and I learned more I was even more sad and upset and just angry just a lot of emotions Mm -hmm. happening so I can really relate to a lot of where Conrad Conrad's head was at a lot of the time which really really got to me in ways I didn't really expect to bubble up but thankfully (laughs) What I didn't have before, I have now, which is a magical cocktail made by Suze, which always helps make everything better. <laughs> Hopefully it'll at least help take the edge off yeah. a little. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this week we're making a brass monkey. So what I mm. first thought of when the name popped up. Brass monkey. The Beastie Boys. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I have a fun story about that. I love it. Here's story time from young Suze. So... <laughs> I originally had this drink, the Brass Monkey, as a mix of a 40, specific 40, and OJ. At least that's what I was told in college. So in college, I lived with four other girls in a five-person flat. I had my own room sort of in the middle. Um, We were on the third floor. There was an apartment of five guys who were all on the swim team that lived on the floor directly below us. So all the layouts were the same. Okay. So bedrooms, kitchen, bathroom, it was Mm. all in the same spot. Yeah. The guy who lived in the room directly below mine would blast the Beastie Boys, all songs, <laughs> literally all the time, like even when he wasn't at home. Oh, great. Love um, that. Which was super fun because it was super loud. <laughs> um, I actually had to call campus police once to come and just shut the music off because he left for swim practice or whatever to do and whatever. he just left the music on? He left it on blasting. That's so fucking like, rude. Like shaking the things on my shelves. For type what status. Because he was a butt munch. Yeah. I couldn't even <laughs> think. It was just horrible. But not long after that incident, which he did apologize for. Oh, well, that's good. We all got together to have a party. And of course, the soundtrack was the Beastie Boys. <laughs> you were probably super excited. I love the song Brass Monkey. Yes. It brings me nothing but joy. Mm-hmm. But when you hear it at 4,000 decibels <laughs> over what it should be blasting through your floor, it's so fun. Well- you remember the terrible neighbors I had before this last mm-hmm. set? You guys, it was terrible. I had a very similar situation to Sue's, except they told my boyfriend to fuck off. Oh. <laughs> when he tried to tell them to shut up. Mm. Yeah, that's why he went downstairs with the baseball bat and was like, can't... don't fuck with me. <laughs> I have to get up in four hours. Campus police from Gannon rode up on their bicycles and were like, <laughs> we gotcha. Got the maintenance man to open the door and just turned it down. That was the extent I of love it. it. I mean... They seemed like better neighbors at the end of the day. (laughs) So we're at this party and these guys are like, okay, so we have these 40s. They're old English 800. (laughs) Kind of a gross tasting malt liquor with a gold label. You'll know it when you see it. Yep. And they were like, we mix it with OJ. Definitely try it. It was actually not half bad. (laughs) But that was what they called a brass monkey. So... Hmm. That's my story of what the original brass monkey in my head was. Um, When I Googled it, it said, this is a brass monkey parentheses ghetto. And I was like, wait, what? um, This old English 800 is like cheap. Right. 
You can get 40. It is 42 ounces now, by the way, because I did purchase one in case you're wondering. That is what I'm (laughs) sipping on as well. Um, But it is 42 ounces. I mean, that's just extra with some orange juice. They used to be glass. They're now plastic. That's probably smart. So now that you've got that information in your brain, (laughs) the Brass Monkey that I'm referencing with this drink was a pre-mixed cocktail made by the Hublin Company, which was based in Stamford, Connecticut. We got here again, thanks to Mr. Google, because I Googled New England cocktails. So the Cape Codder came up at the top of the search, but because we just did a bunch of cranberry and vodka based cocktails, I didn't want to revisit it i feel like we've thoroughly discussed it Mm -hmm. you can only do so much with vodka and cranberry right (laughs) Right. it's a staple but like right let's move along let's move on Mm -hmm. so somewhat down on the list was the brass monkey it was a pre-mixed cocktail that was produced in the 70s 80s and 90s it was cheap and portable so awesome in my book yeah apparently in a lot of other people's books because it was pretty (laughs) popular at the time um the company was not only based in connecticut but they also had production facilities in connecticut so new england Hmm. you know everything in new england's all mushed up together there yep um this version of the brass monkey was one of the few pre-mixed cocktails that was available at the time so Hmm. they had that going for them again this product rose in popularity with the release of brass monkey by the bc boys in wait for it 1987 because i googled it so i now feel 100 years old and i'm gonna drink my shot and cry right after this um mike d of the beastie boys this was on google mike d of the beastie boys has publicly confirmed that this cocktail was their muse and not the 40 and oj combo that i mentioned earlier oh okay so it came directly from one of the beastie boys must be true That's right legit So Steve Doninger, an advertising exec, named the brand after an alleged World War II spy named H.E. Rasky. Alan Kaufman, who created a series of stories about the spy, created the ad campaign using an old photo of his father in the spy's image, if you will. Hmm. Um, In 1982, the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company acquired the Hubline Inc. for $1.4 billion. So in 1982, that was a butt ton of money. Um, RJR Nabisco sold the division to Grand Metropolitan in 1987. They then merged with Guinness to form Diageo in 1997. Long story short, sad news. This pre-mixed cocktail is not available. It has been discontinued. Hmm. So we're going to have to make our own. Oh, no. I found a recipe that was like, this harkens back to the days of the pre-mixed brass monkey. And I was like, tell me more. (laughs) It's similar. Take some inspiration for it. For this cocktail, you'll need a dark rum. We are using Myers. You will also need a vodka. We are going to use a citrus version from Faber because we just love it. Give me more. <laughs> I think the citrus vodka will also pair nicely with the orange juice that we, you'll need for this. Mm-hmm. We're garnishing it with an orange and a cherry because we fancy. So it's easy to make. You only need a few ingredients. You should definitely test it out. Um Take a Collins glass, fill it with ice, add one ounce of the rum, one ounce of the vodka, give it a stir, or if you're like me, just totally fuck it up. (laughs) Um, Next up, add about two ounces of OJ, maybe a little bit more or less, depending on your glass size. We don't have a true Collins glass. We're just working with Dollar Tree stuff. So it wound up being a little bit more, but not by a lot. If we bring one more glass in this house, my boyfriend's going to move out, I think. Yes. Um, once it's all in the cup, just give it another stir, garnish it with your orange and your cherry and bam. Voila. All right. That let's is try it. this bad boy. 
I think it's pretty good. Oh. I would have never thought to put dark rum in it, but I like it. That's a very interesting flavor profile. I enjoy I'm it, I'm not though. mad at it. Apparently, orange juice huh. covers up everything that you find questionable. Old English 800. <laughs> Myers dark rum has never been one of my favorites, so I sort of was like, eh, but it, it works very well it does. in this cocktail. I think I enjoy orange juice. Also, I do feel like it has great masking properties. <laughs> Mimosas, screwdrivers, mm. this drink. I'm telling you, more. the possibilities are endless. Just like cranberry juice. Right. <laughs> Forgives a lot of things. So before we dive deep into things, we're just going to take a moment or two and hear from one of our friends over at the Podmoth Network. Hey, fellow truth seekers, I'm Justin. And I'm Brandy. And together, we'll be your guides on this spine-tingling journey through the unknown. We dive headfirst into the eerie realms of cryptids, from Bigfoot to Loch Ness Monster. And hold on tight, because we'll explore spine-chilling encounters with extraterrestrial beings and UFO sightings that will leave you questioning what's really out there. Beyond the Shadows is not your average paranormal podcast. Our goal is simple. To shed light on the shadows that haunt our world and confront the unexplained with an open mind. And for the skeptics, don't worry, we have something for you too. Our conspiracy theories will challenge your beliefs and make you question everything. So, if you're fascinated by the paranormal, yearn for chilling true crime stories, or crave the adrenaline rush of uncovering conspiracies, join us on this hair-raising adventure as we journey beyond the shadows. Shall we get started? I mean, I guess. <laughs> I know. Full disclosure, you guys, this one's going to make me emotional probably. So I don't know. I might cry. I might end up editing out any part, including this, where that happens. But, you know, we'll see how the night you goes. You never know. <laughs> so we're going to start at the very beginning. Conrad Henry Roy III was born on September 12th, 1995 in Mattapoisette, Massachusetts, to parents Lynn and Conrad II. He was des described as a happy child with a beautiful soul. And unfortunately, as is tradition, things don't stay that way. Conrad II was quite mean to his kids. At times, that escalated into physical violence. There is at least one incident on the record where he was arrested for punching his son in the face, which resulted in Conrad III visiting the hospital. So not really a great home life. No. Of, of course, this eventually caused marital discord between Lynn and Conrad II, which eventually led them to a divorce. And as you can imagine, this had its own impact on each of the kids, but especially young Conrad. So our boy Conrad was smart, hardworking, and kind. He graduated high school on the honor roll with a 3.88 GPA, which he was able to maintain all while playing baseball, participating on the row crew and running track, and let's not forget that he earned his captain's license right around the same time as his graduation. The Roy family owned a marine salvage business called Tucker Roy Marine Towing and Salvage Inc. Say that five times fast. So many words. <laughs> and Conrad III had been working there for years. He loved being out on the water. Just an example of what this business does. When U.S. Airways Flight 1549 made its miracle landing, you remember Captain Sully, I think his name was. Mm, okay. They landed on the Hudson River in 2009. It was Conrad II and his company who helped tow the plane to the shore. Conrad III had a bright future ahead of him. He had a college acceptance and a new job as a captain starting Unfortunately, Conrad was also incredibly depressed and had grown into an anxious teenager. 
Over the years, Conrad tried different medications and had seen several therapists and counselors, including one that specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy. And as somebody who is also currently going through cognitive behavioral therapy, I just thought it might be interesting because a lot of people think it's the same exact kind of thing. Like, it's a special kind of therapy. So just in case you were wondering, it is often used to treat a range of issues such as depression and anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, severe mental illness. It can also be utilized for things like marriage counseling or any anything really when it comes to your thought patterns and your behaviors. Interesting. It's a therapy based on several core principles, but I kind of picked the one that I thought applied the most in this situation, which is that the psychological problems experienced are actually based in part on faulty or unhelpful ways of thinking, as well as learned patterns of unhelpful behavior. And in my experience, one of those begets the other, mm-hmm. you know, because if you think about it, you grow up and you kind of start to develop this really unhealthy way of thinking it's really negative it's really depressing sometimes it can be dangerous Mm -hmm. and then you start to have unhelpful behaviors that just kind of reinforce that that way of narrative Mm -hmm. and the goal of cbt is usually to change the patient's thinking pattern by learning to recognize one's distortions and reevaluate them in a light of reality. And it can be really hard. Nobody wants to get introspective. And that's what a lot of this requires. You have to get to a point. And I'm just now kind of starting to understand what this means for people is like becoming self-aware is its own kind of hell. (laughs) Like Mark and I joke about it all the time because now I'm just aware of my shitty behaviors, but I'm not entirely sure how to stop them yet. But I find it really interesting too. And the thing about therapy kind of getting back to Conrad is that you get out of it what you put into it. And that's what makes it so difficult for people who are really struggling. And I feel like Conrad definitely fit into this group because when you're really fucking depressed, the last thing you want to go do is try to find out why you're fucking depressed. You just want it to go away. And then dig into how to improve yourself to improve your way of thinking. And if you think about it too, that just kind of, when you're in that mindset, it reinforces that you are in fact the problem. Like I fucked my life up. I did this. It's me. My parents don't love me. My so-and-so doesn't love me. This happened. This happened. And going to a therapist and being told, like, well, you have to change your thought patterns. Like, for me, this was a big aha moment because I was definitely in this camp because I was like, now you're just telling me that I'm the problem. Right. I went through X, Y, and Z, and I'm the problem. Like, right. nobody wants that. And so, it to me, it makes a lot of sense that... Conrad was suffering the way that he was and he suffered so greatly, which in these situations leads to idealizing suicide as a way out. So according to some sources that we found, Conrad had made four separate attempts to end his life. One of those incidents occurred in October of 2012, which was sometime after the divorce of his parents. He was hospitalized because of an acetaminophen overdose. He was 17 years old. Conrad's final attempt occurred in July of 2014. On the 12th, after spending the day with his sisters at the beach, he left his family's home around 6 p.m., He drove to a Kmart parking lot in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, and parked his pickup truck towards the back of the parking lot. At 6.28 p.m., Conrad called Michelle, and the two spoke for 42 minutes and 46 seconds. 
Then at 7.12 p.m., Michelle called Conrad. This time, the two spoke for 46 minutes and 35 seconds. At some point during the conversation, Conrad began running a gasoline-powered water pump inside the truck. His intention was to purposely inhale carbon monoxide until he passed away, which is exactly what happened. And allegedly, Michelle was on the phone with Conrad the whole entire time. His mother wasn't concerned with his absence that night. She just assumed he was at a party or something. Despite having what he would describe as crippling social anxiety, he still had a healthy group of friends. He was very active in sports. So his mother said everything seemed good that day. He seemed good. Yeah. So they always do. Yep. And Mm -hmm. I hate to say that. No, but it's true because I don't necessarily think this applies here, but I've known a couple people who have unfortunately also taken their own life and i feel like for them there was a peace with that decision yeah because they knew that the suffering was ending yeah like i used to have a really negative connotation with people who committed suicide and it was a really fucked up way of thinking but like it's crazy how people view this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. which ultimately makes this case really interesting Mm -hmm. once we kind of get into some of the more nitty-gritty part of things so his mother wasn't really concerned. She did send out some texts that night. They did go unanswered, but it wasn't until she couldn't get in touch with Conrad the following day that alarm bells began to ring. Camden, one of Conrad's sister, had actually been in contact with Michelle early that next day. She was very worried about Conrad, which kind of seems suspicious if you're following along, mm-hmm. seeing as she was very aware of where he was. And but if you and if you didn't done. know, the family was probably like, "Who is this person?" Like yeah. freaking out in essence. Mm-hmm. Like, why is she freaking out? Should we be freaking out? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, oh no. Because and we'll dig into the nature of their relationship a little bit later. But mm-hmm. put a pin in his it. His <laughs> family was aware of her. Period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, point blank, and that's basically what we know. Yep. <laughs> now, um. At 2.23 p.m. on July 13th, Michelle asked Camden via text if the family had called the police yet. So they were out looking that day. They could not find him anywhere. Mm-hmm. His, you know, phone calls were going unanswered, texts going unanswered. And they were just getting to the point in which authorities... Panic, Panic was setting in. Mm-hmm. Now, Camden's reply at that moment was that she wasn't home, so she didn't know... And we know now that eventually the authorities did, in fact, get informed of what was going on because they were the ones who found Conrad and informed the family of what happened. Now, this is a really interesting law in Massachusetts. (laughs) Neither did I. So in Massachusetts, an unattended death, a.k.a. a suicide, is treated as an unsolved crime. So when they found Conrad's body, an investigation immediately began. Which, in this instance, awesome. Necessary. <laughs> right. But I do, I I like that they have something in place to just ensure that no foul play had, that well, I mean, if there was foul play, they could. It's better to be safe than, than sorry, yeah. you know what I mean? I At first I was like, that's weird. But then once I read into it a little bit, I was like, this is actually I kind of like comforting. that idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. So, you know, investigation began. And meanwhile, the family found a couple of notes that Conrad left behind, one of which was written for Michelle. There was one written for his family, possibly, I think, directly labeled to his dad. I can't quite remember. 
I can't recall either, but it was heart freaking wrenching. <laughs> His dad was definitely specifically reached Mentioned, out to in the yeah. letter one way or the other. Um, in that letter, he specifically apologized to his father for, quote, not being the boy you wanted. And there was a request in there that his family go on to, quote, live life to the fullest. That's so sad. (laughs) I just I think it speaks to his kindness and just who he was as a person because he was so concerned even throughout all of his pain and him making these plans and doing these things. Like there's so much time that went into this. Yeah. They had to sit down and do these things. And plan it. Plot it. Time it. Eh. Yeah. All right. So Michelle was just inconsolable and distraught over Conrad's death. She would often talk about it with what few friends she did have, as well as with her family. Her classmates noticed that she seemed to be struggling just in a general sense. Um, Michelle was still contacting Lynn and Camden on occasion, more so Camden. In fact, not too long after the funeral, which occurred on July 19th, Michelle had sent Camden an email containing several messages that Conrad had sent to Michelle before his death. Many people assumed that Conrad took his life because of bullying and things like that. Michelle, quote unquote, knew the real reasons and wanted to set the record straight. Conrad was not mentally well, and neither was Michelle, so she got him, if you will, in a way that many others couldn't or or refused to see. Um, he often said things like, quote, I pray every night that this is a bad dream, and I'll wake up feeling happy and proud of myself and a good kid again, end quote. Um, another message said, and I quote, I see the world as a horrible place with a bunch of horrible people. There's a shortage of good, genuine people like you and me who care. And Michelle did care, at least on the surface. 17 years old, and that's how you feel about your you know, place. It's really sad. It's heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. I think that this is something that you and I kind of briefly talked about, and ultimately part of the reason why I I wanted to do this case was because I feel like this kind of shit gets missed in teens so much. And his parents were much more involved in in this and getting him help right. than than then the a norm. lot of people's work yeah. but like it's so easy to write off what kids are going through it's like as the moody blues yeah it's you're, you're just being a teenager like, yeah it's oh you're angsty but like especially of this generation and, mm-hmm. and now especially you get bad news and a freaking instant on your cell phone yeah you can be bullied online mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's just so many awful things out there i am incredibly grateful that i was born when i was because i feel like i'm getting the best of both worlds i have to deal with this kind of shit as an adult so i'm much more well equipped i to mean handle i'm mildly it. well equipped for it but <laughs> even some days i'm like the interweb is too much for me it is a lot I started this research like five times because I was like, this is this too much. I'm that (laughs) meme. It's too much. (laughs) And we're only at the very beginning of things here. Now, like um, Sue said, Michelle seemed to have cared about Conrad very much. And she was the closest person to him. And according to her, they were officially boyfriend and girlfriend at the time of his death. Everybody seemed surprised by that. But. Or at least mildly like, huh? Yeah. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I think one of her friends from school said that um, she thought it was weird because up until his death, she would be like, oh, my friend, my friend. Then after he died, we'll explain why. Yeah. In a hot minute. Don't you worry. (laughs) So this closeness that they had in their relationship, quote unquote, is why 
Michelle Carter was eventually approached by a police officer after school one day. He presented her with a warrant for her phone and other electronics. Which mm. she was very hesitant to turn over. I mean, BT dubs. I, Please comprime my phone on my. I was just going to say. Broken I, fingers. I Go ahead and test it out. To an extent. Especially like, I don't know, let's just for the sake of argument here. If my boyfriend, who I pretty much only had an online relationship with, just died, I would not want to give up everything I had like archived right i could see that too or was it for no, more nefarious reasons bum, i don't bum, know bum. let's decide we don't know let's talk about <laughs> because it because <laughs> once they obtained these electronics the authorities began looking through her messages with conrad and you guys there were so many like, messages i mean i text a lot if you call me that shit's going to voicemail but like <laughs> i text everybody right. and this is excessive over 1,000 messages were recovered just from the week leading up to Conrad's death. From from one week? How do you find the time? Right. Is that all you were doing is just texting I constantly? mean, they're teenagers. Yeah, yes. but don't you go to school and sleep? No? All right. Just checking. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> Apparently not. I don't think, I think that Conrad suffered with like weird sleeping Insomnia habits and, stuff, and all that yeah. kind of shit because that's a that's a big part of it at times and he was working a lot and he had just graduated high school so he i think was just working with his dad he was working with the toe and working whatever. working out on the water now keep in mind like i mentioned the two of them had only met in person a handful of times outside of that their relationship was entirely online what was most intriguing about these conversations was the one that took place right before he died. These messages changed the way that law enforcement and everyone else looked I at mean, Michelle. Mm -hmm, and me. <laughs> because not only was she aware of Conrad's plan to kill himself, but it seemed as if she was actively encouraging him to do it. You guys. Skirt. What? Right. It's almost, it's almost unbelievable if it didn't actually occur. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So let's just roll it back a little bit and go back to when Conrad and Michelle first met, go over a little bit of her background. So oddly enough, the two teens from Massachusetts met while they were on separate family vacations in Florida. What are the chances, though? One in one bazillion, mm -hmm. I'm sure, because I, could... I was like, what? I know. It was like the aunt of Michelle knew Conrad's family, so she introduced them. Yeah, something weird like that. The two hit it off mm -hmm. like peanut butter and jelly. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, they were immediately pretty much infatuated with each other. They were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We both live in, live in Massachusetts. This is so crazy. It must be meant to be mm -hmm. type of thing. So they struck up a friendship that carried over into their real life, like day-to-day -day life. Michelle was from Plainville, which is about just north of Fairhaven. I think it was like 56 minute drive or it, something yeah, like it was, that. It was under an hour. I mm -hmm. mean, just barely, but like it was right there pretty much. This was a big part of her initial attraction to Conrad. He was from the South Coast, which was considerably more diverse than the waspy suburbs that Michelle grew up in. So she probably was like, danger, handsome stranger. I can already see it. Absolutely. Her father was a sales manager and her mother staged interiors for real estate agents, which afforded them a certain type of lifestyle. How do I get that job, though? Because that sounds like tons of fun. But Staging I would make them spooky and I don't I feel like everybody would go for that. No, like one eighth of the real estate agents would be like, this is great. And then the rest would be like, get out. We'd have a really hard time finding a job. <laughs> right. Okay. On second thought, we'll stick to the true crime. Okay, maybe. <laughs> right. 
Um, Michelle seemed pretty excited at the prospect of getting to know someone who wasn't a part of her everyday reality. Allegedly, after her and Conrad first started talking, Michelle told her friends that she now had a quote-unquote exotic friend. That's crazy to me. Because it literally, from what I read about the two areas, was like night and day. Mm -hmm. Like, every way they could be different, they were different type status. I liked how the neighborhood that Michelle grew up in was was described as, like, waspy. I was like, I read it and I was like, really (laughs) i think that's a perfect description of what it was like especially if they consider not that their race matters in any way shape or form in this situation but they were both white right so for for michelle to be like this is my exotic friend well i think where did you live the south shore is a little more rough and tumble yeah than than they are i just think it's crazy not everybody but a lot of people work the blue collar job Mm -hmm. you know what i mean the hardworking, well, backbreaking stuff. And that... I feel like it was probably one of those situations where even though like Conrad's family owned a business and a successful one at that, yeah, it wasn't on the same level. Right. As it the wasn't, corporate wasn't staging interior designs for real estate agents, but <laughs> right. how could it be? <laughs> I'm not knocking it. I think that's an amazing no, job. I mean, I'm so happy for you. Honestly, but when you compare them, it's like apples and pears. It, like very much so. so. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So I could definitely see, especially in the fact that they had similar struggles. It makes sense why there was such a kinship. Well, formed. and I'm going to throw it out there. Meeting on vacation. Yeah. yeah. The sun and the sand in Florida. I don't know if it's like the swampy air or what, but <laughs> I guarantee too thick down there. on teenagers, they were probably just like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Yeah. Like immediately. Oh, I can probably. see it in my brain. Mm-hmm. Especially I had the misfortune of reading through a lot of their text messages today. Yeah. It was very that. Uh huh. <laughs> that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. Now, like I would mentioned, you know, Michelle had her own set of struggles. She was defined as relentlessly cheery, which to me was a huge red flag in and of itself. Per an Esquire article written by Jesse Barron, quote, if you were kind to her, she would thank you so much it was confusing. If she upset you, she would apologize 50 times, then apologize for apologizing. Not quite part of any group, she sometimes overcompensated, lavishing attention in sudden intense waves, end and quote. If you do get the opportunity to read that article, which will be linked, mm-hmm. please do. It was if, really if great. If you're interested in this case, mm-hmm. I thought the writing was phenomenal. He definitely talked to a lot of people that I was like, huh, okay. Mm-hmm. So Did his homework, if you will. Just putting an asterisk by that. Well, and I thought this was really interesting because going through a lot of these cases, even just from like a few years ago, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> sorry, you guys, there's a dog barking outside my door. The neighbor's dog is like, bark. It's so bark. yappy, but he could be out there forever. So we're just going to yeah, push ahead. With it. Just pre- <laughs> pretend you don't hear it. If you he... heard it, it made me laugh and make weird faces. <laughs> and then Brie laughed. And here we are. He's out all the time. He loves it, but he's very yappy. He's cute. He's doing his thing over there, but just be chilling. Yeah. So sorry in advance if you guys hear any more barks. <laughs> but what I was going to say is um, to me, the apologizing thing really jumped out because as a former people pleaser, mm-hmm. that was something that I did all the time. And I still catch myself doing a lot. Yeah. And then apologizing for apologizing. I mean, come on. There's a lot of memes that are like, you don't have to keep saying sorry. Okay, sorry. Yep. That's liter- <laughs> quite literally, yes. Mm-hmm. I have a friend I of mine. to my core. You know him as well. Mm-hmm. He has a severe citrus allergy. Oh, yeah. And 
it took so much to get him to voice that at work because we work with lemonade and now anytime he has to hand me a drink that has lemonade so i can make it instead of him he was like oh my god i'm so sorry citrus allergy i'm like if you explain to me and or apologize to me one more time <laughs> i feel like we were at wine fest and he was like mm -hmm. oh well i can't have citrus i'm so sorry and they were like <laughs> what <laughs> why are you sorry I here's know. some grape juice whatever with strawberries it. in it we it was super good by the way in case you guys didn't notice wine fest was great wine fest <laughs> um but i just thought it was really interesting because i kind of look at this case in a new lens now as i've gotten older and that was something that jumped out at me that didn't before mm -hmm. so it was just i found it interesting in the overcompensating lavishing attention in sudden intense waves does this not sound like what she was doing with conrad yeah so i don't know about you guys but like i mentioned this is giving me some big people pleaser vibes that's our thoughts <laughs> in a <laughs> nutshell <laughs> additionally michelle struggled with an eating disorder these things don't just kind of pop up out of nowhere. This is something that she had to have been struggling with for a really long time. I, in my brain, just envision mom decorating sets, if you will. Yeah. I, it's got to be something, not that the mother did. It's just right. something in her brain that was like, I need to fit into this mold. Well, and also, I mean, think about what you mentioned earlier. Like the generations behind us are not we had to deal with like the emergence of the kardashians and like these unrealistic body types that you can only achieve if you have millions of dollars but like yeah but now it's even worse that's what i yeah, yeah. i was just gonna say with social media you're seeing everybody's highlight reels in real time you're seeing all the good mm -hmm. and it's all glistening with filters mm -hmm. like don't believe the hype kids but i could see how if 13 14 year old girl growing up in this era mm -hmm. would have these well especially i issues. mean we don't know anything about her mom, but it I can't help but be judgmental and be like, she probably like, was kind of an asshole I'm and she probably assuming, encouraged those kinds of behaviors. I don't even know if it's that, but it's like, I've got to keep keep up with the Kardashians. I have to keep mm -hmm. up with my classmates. I want to be perfect for mom and dad. It might not have had anything she, to do with them. It she, was just something that clicked in her brain mm -hmm. that was like, I have to do this. There were so many times in the text messages where she would just text Conrad out of nowhere and be like, I hate my body. Like, that's fucking sad. Right. That's so fucking sad. For like a 16 year old kid. For anybody, really, kid. but especially a 16 year old kid who is going through the most awkward phase of your entire oh, fucking yeah. life. Bro. I don't know why people say your teen years are your best years because they're fucking not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they're not. You're just, you have a lot of energy. <laughs> that's pretty much I all mean, you I got. guess. Like, shit. <laughs> um, I do want to kind of mention that she specifically struggled with anorexia and she had said on several occasions that it controlled her life. And for those of you who might not know, we're all about educating ourselves here in our podcast. Anorexia is really serious. It's an eating disorder that causes a severe and strong fear of gaining weight, which I don't know that I ever knew that specific part of it. Like that fear that's so deeply rooted inside that's your soul. That's why they restrict. That's why they don't eat. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous. Patients often have an altered view of being fat, even when they're very dangerously thin. Like Sue said, they'll often use extreme exercise, calorie, food limitations, or they'll binge and purge to control their weight. It's incredibly dangerous and unfairly stigmatized. And at one point, Michelle had to be hospitalized for it. Which is no fucking joke. No. <laughs> So additionally, she was plagued by a lot of social anxiety and would often desperately seek the approval of 
literally anybody, any person. Yeah. She was very worried about people not liking her, especially if she held them in a higher regard. So a great example of this is a friend named Alice. She was Michelle's best friend at one point. They would stay up all night talking and stay at each other's houses. Alice also suffered from depression. And over time, her parents grew concerned about how Michelle may or may not have been influencing their daughter. So Alice's mother eventually stepped in and told her daughter in no uncertain terms that she was to end her friendship with Michelle. As you can imagine, or maybe assuming at this point, Michelle did not take that very well. She would try and talk with her other friends, but they were kind of just like over it. Uh, Michelle was kind of obsessed with Alice and the abrupt end of their relationship. She just couldn't stop thinking about it, couldn't stop going over it with other people in her brain, over text, whatever, whatever. I don't necessarily blame her to an extent from what we've learned about her. Right. Because she got ghosted. Right. Like Alice was told by her mother to just stop communicating altogether. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Right. Not great for a people pleaser who is afraid no one likes them. Yeah. So she admitted this herself in a text saying, quote, I'm obsessed with her, like IDK, how to stop every love song or whatever. It's her I think about, end quote. Hmm. According to Michelle, her therapist said that she was going through a grieving process. That's with quotes and that she needed to get some closure some way, shape or whatever she attempted this by sending alice a three-page letter that she wouldn't actually see until much later for reference michelle and conrad were already friends at this point it was the fall after they met that all this went down so relatively early ish in their friendship if you will now you guys can probably see where we're going with this michelle and conrad (laughs) found solace in each other because they understood one another on a deeper level They considered themselves to be fucked up and broken in ways that kept them from being a part of society. And I think that it really just helped them to vocalize that to somebody who they felt got it. I don't, when you're sad or something like that, it it helps with like a hyper connection. Mm -hmm. So it it feels deeper. It feels stronger. It feels like more than it may or may not be. Yes, 1000%. And those feelings are hella overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And they can often lead to isolating and depressive episodes. Now, Conrad first shared his suicidal thoughts with Michelle in 2012. And then again in 2014. Initially, she encouraged him to get help from a professional so that they could both get better and they could live their lives together and maybe one day be happy. As the summer of 2014 began... Conrad started to slip into a depressive episode. He would send big, long text messages to Michelle, venting his frustrations and feelings. He felt unworthy, like he wasn't good enough to just exist in this world. And in the weeks leading up to his death, things between them seemed as normal as they could until one day they just weren't. In June on the 22nd, Conrad was feeling pretty low and was talking about it with Michelle. And the last message read, yeah, I just must take my time. Like I keep regretting the past. It's getting me upset. To which Michelle responds with, quote, take your life, question mark. To which Conrad responded, you think I should? Michelle then wrote, quote, you're not going to kill yourself. You say all the time you want to, but look, you're still here. All the times you wanted to, you didn't, end quote. 
These little comments here and there continue until eventually Michelle started to think it might be a good thing to help him die, quote unquote. On July 3rd, 2014, Conrad told Michelle that he was going to do it. When he was awake the next morning, she was furious. This part. She proceeded to then give him other ideas on how he could complete suicide. She even asked Conrad if after he died, she would be allowed to tell people that he was her boyfriend. So that answers that question as to why people were hella confused. Fucking gross. Um, There was a lot of back and forth. And from what we could see, Michelle was getting quite insistent that he just pick a method, pick a day and just do it already. Her attitude, totally not ours. A blasé. (laughs) She was very blasé about Mm -hmm. it. Um, Now, we're going to get into the messages leading up to Conrad's death. We're not going to recite the entire thread because... Fuck these children can text. There like, was, whoa. yeah, I was gonna say they were teenagers at the end of the day, right? <laughs> um, we're gonna pick key messages that provide some context to the situation, so just bear with us. It might seem disjointed, but it's not. It also might seem biased, but I promise you that there was nothing that we had to do to make Michelle seem as if she was not great in this <laughs> to moment. Seem worse, yeah. Literally, we just copy and pasted the text messages because we wanted to make sure we could give you their exact words. So, starting very late on the eleventh slash very early on the twelfth, Michelle texted Conrad asking him, "Quote: Why haven't you done it yet, though?" Conrad said, "I'm too messed up to." Michelle said, you can't think about it. You just have to do it, question mark. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't get why you aren't. Conrad replies with, I don't get it either. IDK. I don't get why you aren't. I just, what? Want to punch her through the phone? (laughs) So many times. Into her face. Because she continues on saying, quote, so I guess you aren't going to do it then. All that for nothing. I'm just confused. Like, you were so ready and determined. And I... Genuinely would love to know if there is any way to kind of read these as her not being a total asshole, asshole about it. Yeah, I don't because I don't one. think that they're like. I mean, I know that you can only tell so much through text messages, but I swear to God, this chick was like being real sassy about it. And this I is don't very like aggressive it. too, though. Aggressive is a really good word yeah. for it. Because he. Conrad replies with, I am gonna eventually. And she says, no, you're not, Conrad. Last night was it. You keep pushing it off and you say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always gonna be that way if you don't take action. You're just making it harder on yourself by pushing it off. You just have to do it. She is talking about this kid going to end his life. And she's like, just do it. Do it already. Do it. She literally said, just do it like four times. What is this? A Nike commercial? Like the fuck? It makes me so angry. Uh, so first thing in the morning on the 12th, Michelle texts Conrad, are you going to do it today? He replies with yes. And he asks if he should do it in the daytime, like during light hours, I guess. She responds with, yeah, it's less suspicious. You won't think about it as much and you'll get it over with instead of waiting until the night. Mm, what? <laughs> what is the logic here? There, there, there. It should just be prefaced there is no logic here there's no logical thinking occurring no right now this is very obviously like the point in which we are dealing with two severely mentally unwell kids yes conrad went on with his day after those messages while continuing to discuss his plans with michelle at one point she said quote you're so hesitant because you keep overthinking it and pushing it off you just need to do it conrad 
The more you push it off, the more it will eat you. You're ready and prepared. All you have to do is turn the generator on and you be free and happy. No more pushing it off. No more waiting. Mm. Say what, though? Bitch. It doesn't. My reaction to these, it's never less dull. It's never dulled. Like I said, you almost can't believe it if this wasn't the actual literal transcript of the text messages (laughs) these two exchanged. So there are several points throughout the conversation that Conrad showed how hesitant he was to execute his plan. Each and every time that he showed resistance to following through, Michelle would all but berate him into continuing. She kept asking, are you going to do it now? Over and over and over again. It was the first thing she said. Are you awake? He was like, yeah. Are you going to do it today? Ugh. What? So that's already not helping a very fragile situation. Right. And rather and than that, getting help here, mm-hmm. we're just doing this. She's It's getting worse. She's escalating it into yes. rather than trying to. It's like goading. She's goading yes. him into it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Because she goes on to say, I thought you wanted to do this. The time is right and you're ready. You just need to do it. Exclamation point. You can't keep living this way. You just need to do it like you did last time and not think about it and just do it, babe. You can't keep doing this every day. What really gets me is the random babe that gets dropped in there once in a while. Mm -hmm. Because I think it adds an extra layer of awful to all of this. Extra onion layer of ick to Mm -hmm. it. So at one point, Conrad mentions his family to Michelle. Her response was, Conrad, I told you I'll take care of them. Everyone will take care of them to make sure they won't be alone and people will help them get through it. We talked about this. They will they will be okay and accept it. People who commit suicide don't think this much and they just do it. I would like to argue that that's not true. Not even a little bit. <laughs> but okay. Oh my goodness. What? Like I said, I, I'm laughing because I can't believe this is true. Mm-hmm. And it is. And that especially laugh or cry i guess yeah like, right fight or, flight, <laughs> or maybe a little but... bit of both who knows <laughs> what really i think gets me the most is that you can literally watch her ch- change from being really supportive and how you should be like because th- i full disclosure there was a lot of text messages where she was like no like you're so much better than what you think you are you're worth it you're this you're that which for the record anybody out there who is struggling in any kind of way you are worth it it is worth it you are safe you are okay none of it's your fault and get the help that you need we're right. going to list resources at the mm-hmm. end i'm going to make an, an entire post for all of that kind of stuff just to make sure that you guys are out there because it, I, there so many people are suffering like this right but like how are you just going to sit there and be like people who commit suicide like do they just do it they don't think about it this mm. much <laughs> There's literal notes that people like leaving a note is like a whole part of it. If that doesn't take planning, at least a little bit thinking, at least a little bit. Girl. And here's the worst part of it all. And the most damning part when it comes to Michelle and her behavior, because at one point while Conrad was actively running the generator the night he died, it was working and he got scared and he jumped out of the car and I'm pretty sure this is what occurred in that two minute gap, if I remember correctly, because mm-hmm. she called him. He told her what happened and she screamed at him to get back in the fucking truck. And he did. So it takes about 15 minutes to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. 
When Conrad was found the next day, his phone's battery was dead. The combination of these two factors led to the belief that Conrad must have died sometime during that second phone call with Michelle. What's extra fucked up, just an extra onion layer of horribleness, is that at 10.30 that night, Michelle texted Conrad's mother and asked her, quote, do you know where he is? End quote. And the reason why she reached out to his mom and his sister that same night is because he, at one point, wasn't answering her messages. And it was because before he went to the parking lot, he went to his dad's house and fell asleep. And she thought that he had done it. <laughs> And so she was freaking out. So at least that's one version of the story. There is also the other other more suspicious version of the story is that she was just trying to cover her tracks or lay a story down or something. Like show concern kind of thing. To me, I buy buy the the, he fell asleep at his dad's house because you can see that in the text messages. Like he literally said, I fell asleep at my dad's. And Camden was like, I called my dad. He's over there and he's sleeping. So like we know for a fact that like that happened in some capacity. Right. So how do we get to a trial, right? How do we go from that to this, right? Mm Because Michelle was indicted on February 4th, 2015. So honestly, not even really that long like that much time had transpired right between all of this um ultimately police felt as if they had enough to take it to a grand jury to see if because they felt as if she was culpable at least to a degree right so she was arraigned the following day in new bedford juvenile court in taunton massachusetts on charges of involuntary manslaughter the grand jury found enough to charge her with wanton wanton wantonly (laughs) my brain was like what (laughs) and recklessly assisting the suicide she was only 17 at the time and the court indicted her as a youthful offender rather than a juvenile which basically meant that she was able to be sentenced as an adult which i thought was interesting because i didn't know that they made that discretion i've heard of children being charged as adults yeah but i'd never heard of a youthful offender before you know, it's interesting because I used to very much be like, they should get charged as an adult if they do something like blah, blah, blah. But as I've gotten older, too, I realize how fucking stupid everybody is at right. that age. And I just don't know if you can hold them to the same accountability as you can who somebody in their mid 30s doing the same thing. Right. Again, totally not saying that she should have gotten off. I just I don't know. I find it interesting. Just, you know, question just mark. Kind here. of putting a hot take out there, I guess. <laughs> So on July 1st, 2016, an appeal to the grand jury indictment was heard by the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court and was denied. This allowed the case to proceed as charged. Justice Robert J. Cordy, writing for the unanimous court, found there was probable cause to sustain the manslaughter indictment. On June 5th, 2017, the day before the trial was scheduled to begin... Michelle waived her right to a jury trial. Ooh. This was after they had already went through all of the rigmarole of getting a jury in the first place. Well, I mean, she was charged and then now we're two years later. Right. So there's that. Well, and I also, um, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, one of the questions on the jury questionnaire specifically said, do you think that somebody could be guilty of a crime simply by using words or some some I mean, really, semblance though. of that sentence. Well, I mean, you have to know if somebody is willing to think that that happens because 
if they don't believe that that's possible, then why would you put them on well, the jury? Again, we'll we'll get into it more later, but that's what makes this case so interesting. 100%. <laughs> can can words kill? Exactly. You know, I don't I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> and I thought it was a an interesting choice and honestly a smart choice on the on the part of the defense because this basically just meant that the case was only going to be heard and tried by Judge Lawrence is it Monis? I said Monis cuz it how, doesn't have the Yeah. Um, he was a former English teacher, oddly enough, in the Bristol County Juvenile Court of Massachusetts. Uh, Carter was represented by Joseph P. Cataldo and Corey Madera. And we hate him because he was well known in the community mm-hmm. for having gotten serious charges against King Philip students dismissed, which included a bomb threat and a sexual assault. I literally was like, wow, I hate this guy already. I mean, I... I I, this kind of speaks to her parents, I think, and just kind of like that waspy vibe. Mm-hmm. It's just not that you shouldn't, if you have the the means to get no, your kid absolutely. a defense lawyer that's gonna do their best to take care of the situation. But uh, we're obviously like Team Conrad over here. I know so <laughs> it's a little hard for us to. <laughs> so there was limited legal precedent for prosecuting the encouragement of suicide at this time like i said this was like not cutting edge but like the first of its kind or at the say, forefront yeah. of unprecedented is a pretty perfect word for it really because yeah. i mean and we're still in the midst of all these you know first amendment rights yeah my right my right so um cataldo initially asked a taunton juvenile court judge for summary dismissal he argued that michelle's texts were protected under the first amendment and that the text history showed that Conrad had been contemplating suicide without Michelle's input. The judge declined this motion because it's bullshit. Well, and <laughs> while that may that may be true, so is the fact that she likely instigated him into committing suicide. Because to me, it seemed like he didn't actually want to go through with it. The jump, the whole jumping out of the car thing, yeah, would definitely lead me I don't to believe think, that. <laughs> if that does not show you how messed up this kid was right i don't know what really will honestly at this point but i think that it's obviously it it matters but it also doesn't matter because two things can be true right he he could contemplate suicide before and also michelle could have impacted things gotta say ada mary claire flynn she crushed it with this with this whole case. I read really. it and I was like, oh, OK, I see you <laughs> in her opening statement. Uh, she said that Michelle, who's 20 at the time of the trial, wanted nothing more than sympathy and attention from other girls at school, yearning to be the, quote, grieving girlfriend who couldn't stop her boyfriend from committing suicide. She went on to say that the defendant needed something to get their attention. She used Conrad as a pawn in her sick game of life and death. That is a direct quote. And I find that interesting as well, because Suze, you may remember that two months after his death, she went and like threw a fundraiser yeah. in the name of suicide in in her town. In her town, and her friends were like, "What?" But also, like, they were supportive, and like, there's pictures from the day, and it's weird. It was real weird. But shouldn't it be in his hometown? You would think. Huh. Hmm. Well. <laughs> What do questions. I know? <laughs> so many questions. So Mary Claire Flynn also alleged that Carter, Michelle Carter, had tried to pretend that the Roy family to pretend to the Roy family that she didn't know the manner and or location of Conrad's death, despite texts 
from her that allegedly indicated otherwise. Direct quote from Mary, Mary Claire Flynn. She never admitted to anyone in the Roy family that she had helped Conrad for weeks to devise a suicide plan or that she was on the phone with Conrad and knew he committed suicide in the Kmart parking lot. Hmm. Mic drop. I know. I just envisioned like, damn. <laughs> um, Michelle's friend, Samantha Boardman, read aloud in court from text messages that Michelle had actually sent her that seemed to indicate that she was somewhat remorseful. So Sam, Michelle texted, quote, Sam, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working and he got scared and I fucking told him to get back in. She said, I knew he would do it all. I knew he would do it all over the next day and I couldn't have him live the way he was living anymore. She alleged, uh, <laughs> brain, brain spasm. <laughs> Carter allegedly wrote to Sam. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't let him. I should have done more and it's all my fault because I could have stopped him, but I fucking didn't. I mean, that kind of sounds like an admission, at least to an extent of some to sort me. of guilt, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> so a psychiatrist testified in court on behalf of the defense that Michelle Carter was prescribed antidepressants that may have impeded her abilities to empathize with others and make sound decisions. Mm -hmm. Dr. Peter Bregan spoke about the effects of Celexa, a medication that treats depression and anxiety. Bregan, who said he had examined Michelle Carter prior to taking the witness stand, told the courts um, the 20-year-old was prescribed the medication in 2014 when she was 17, not long before Conrad's suicide. Interesting. Mm. According to the Boston Globe, I like how you just went, hmm. <laughs> hmm. According to the Boston Globe, the psychiatrist said Celexa can inhibit impulse control. Bregan went on to say that drugs like Celexa, quote, disrupt the frontal lobe function and that the young brain is more susceptible to harm, end quote, from such drugs, which I totally believe because your frontal lobe or whatever isn't even fully formed until you're like 25. Mm. So even then it's questionable. Honestly, <laughs> checks out. He also said that someone who wouldn't do anything outlandish or dangerous might when the frontal lobe is injured in some way hmm. i actually have a book that's called change your brain change your life and i started getting into it a little bit like years ago all about how the physiological makeup of your brain can actually change if it experiences trauma so i mean like i'm inclined to believe that he would be right about something like this is that the case here i don't know we don't know we just have more questions more questions so Dr. Bregan told the judge that Michelle Carter tried talking Conrad out of his suicide, even sending him information on anxiety and how to management, how to manage it. Excuse me. She said, I'm trying my best to dig you out, allegedly, in one text message. Bregan said that Conrad replied, I don't want to be dug out. You often don't in, well, those, yeah, in those moments. That's when you call somebody who's not 17 and on right. drugs that are fucking their brain up. Right. Bregan went on to say that antidepressants altered Carter or Michelle Carter's brain chemistry, that this led to her supportive messages turning into goadings, urging Conrad to kill himself. He also said that Michelle wanted to use her quote unquote unique power to help Conrad achieve what he wanted, which was death. 
quote, she's not thinking she's doing something criminal. She found a way to help her boyfriend, end quote. <laughs> so it this part is very interesting. Bregan is the f- one who first suggested an involuntary intoxication of the SSRI drugs she was on. He would later assert that involuntary intoxication was based on a number of clinical conditions that could be found in the big guide of mental health stuff, but it was not found in the DSM itself. Interesting. Yeah, because basically he was trying to say, if I understood it correctly, that it was like a symptom rather than the disorder itself, which is why it wasn't in the DSM, I think was his argument. Yeah. To prominent child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Harold Kopowitz. Yep, that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We don't think that he actually testified at trial. We just kind of found that it was an interesting contradiction to what the other guy said. Uh, His whole opinion was the involuntary intoxication, intoxication angle that Michelle's lawyers were rolling with made no sense. According to the defense, she did not know what she was doing because she was psychotic, delusional, involuntarily intoxicated from taking the antidepressant Celexa. Defense attorney Joseph Cadaldo said in court, Michelle Carter underwent an involuntary intoxication in June and July. So Dr. Kopowitz said that those drugs are pretty safe And this is a direct quote. They don't make you delusional. They don't make you psychotic. I don't know what involuntary intoxication means. I don't know who made up that term, but they don't make you drunk. Right. I've been on SSRIs my fair share of my life, and I can't particularly say that it made me feel psychotic. Maybe... Now, I will I will say, and I think we've got some information yeah. on the drug Selexa in the first place, like because that drug in and of itself is one of those ones that kind of are like, you know, that's the one that comes with the disclaimer, like may cause depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies and people under 24. But let's give them to people who have depression, anxiety and suicidal tendencies under and the age of 24. 24, right. <laughs> Sounds so, like a great plan. <laughs> in 2014, Michelle was prescribed Celexa to treat anxiety and depression. Uh it's a drug called Cytalopram. Cytalopram? That sounds close enough. With a C. It's an <laughs> antidepressant medication that works with the brain. It's approved for the treatment of major depressive disorders symptoms of depression just in case you were wondering include a depressed mood which is feeling sad empty or tearful feeling worthless guilty hopeless and helpless loss of interest or pleasure in your usual activities a lot of other horrible things but the last one is suicidal thoughts or behaviors hmm interesting uh cytolopram may also be helpful when prescribed off-label for ocd Generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social phobia, a.k.a. social anxiety disorder, PTSD, eating disorders, and a premenstrual dysphoric dysphoric disorder. Say that 20 times fast. (laughs) So off-label means that it hasn't been approved by the FDA for this specific condition, but it might still could work for that condition. That's super reassuring. Let's not do off-label. That's a horrible yeah. idea. To me, that's like a recreational drug. I mean... Like, it might help, but, like, at yeah. what cost, you know? 
it's like to me i'm always amazed i mean i'm going through a lot of this shit right now trying to figure out my allergies and trying to figure out why i can't breathe half the time right and like turns out she's allergic to everything i'm severely allergic to dust Indoor and, and i'm outdoors. mildly allergic to almost everything outside to to the earth <laughs> so there's but that i love her so much so we're gonna figure this out but i you know i they're trying out different meds and all this stuff and like they're like oh this one treats allergies and asthma symptoms but also anxiety right like what why are those all grouped together <laughs> the only thing i could think of is that sometimes when you can't breathe it causes anxiety i mean maybe <laughs> which like makes sense because when i can't breathe i mean, I mean it's true it, which then makes it worse so i could kind of see it but i i also don't see it at all <laughs> but i i don't really want to see it that doesn't sound good well it is i mean okay so the antidepressants that i'm on now have been fantastic and wonderful i've been on them for years i feel great for the most part and the same drug can be used as a uh quitting smoking agent oh you just instead of doing sustained release which is what i'm on which is where it takes it like over the course of the day it releases into yeah. your system and um you would do instant release because when i quit smoking cigarettes they switched me oh because it helped me with my cigarette craving and they actually give because there was, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but that big uh, quitting smoking thing that came out, it was like a few years ago, everybody was on it. Chantix? Yes. The one that gives you horrible nightmares? Correct. Mm. So they don't they don't prescribe that to people who want to quit smoking, who have depression already. They prescribe what I'm on as the cessation oh. agent because it's an antidepressant first. Dear Lord. It actually really helped, though. I My mean, friend tried to quit and he was like, "Never, I'd rather smoke than take Chantix like, ever again yeah. in my life. He you should recommend this stuff. I can give if anybody out there is listening i take the generic form of wellbutrin and it, oh, okay. it worked fantastic they switched me from the sr to the instant release i was on that for three months while i got over like the hardest part of like the physical addiction and everything it really really helped huh. who knew because i have nightmares i have struggled with suicidal idea ideation i the ideation before mm -hmm. you know all of the things like yeah. i've been in, in there a very similar position as conrad before and the last thing you want to do if you're trying to like quit smoking which is something that gives you like dopamine to your brain right is to give you something that's going to make everything worse right which, just amplify it but this drug selexa from what i've heard has just been in that same category allegedly it fucks with people <laughs> hard so they do say a patient should not just stop taking this, even when they feel better. We see this a lot with schizophrenics, too. Mm -hmm. I feel great. So why do I need to take it? A lot of people with antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I was on that yo-yo for a while, yeah. too. Well, it turns out missing doses may increase the risk for relapse. Oh. Stopping it abruptly may result in one or more of these withdrawal symptoms, which include, but are not limited to, irritability, nausea, feeling dizzy, vomiting, nightmares, headache, and or uh, parenthesis. It's prickling at slash tingling sensation on the skin. Oh, yeah. Which mm -hmm. I would rather peel my skin off, I think, than feel that. I that get like a terrible. tingling mm -hmm. sensation mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. in my fingertips. Ugh. Ugh. lightheadedness also sometimes too it's super fun what you deal with when you're like do i choose to be crazy or do right. i just have the tingleness and the the lightheadedness so we're just saying long story short 
it's not all sunshine, roses, butterflies, and unicorns mm-hmm. once you start taking these drugs. Exactly. Because it's like anything else, you're taking it for one thing, but it may also lead to other things. Especially they said side effects can be like headaches, you might have sexual side effects, nausea, diarrhea, dry mouth, increased sweating, feeling nervous, restless, fatigue, insomnia. Why would you give this to somebody who already has all those things? Well, especially somebody who is struggling with who they are as a person mm-hmm. because they're children. So they're already trying to figure themselves out. Right. You add in a mental disorder. You add in a, a drug like, whoa, mm-hmm. it's just a cocktail for disaster, right? I Yeah, 100%. And part of the reason why we kind of wanted to highlight that is because a lot of people who don't fully understand what it's like to deal with this shit thinks it's as simple as like just take some meds and then you're fine and it's not that simple what if the meds do worse exactly or make it worse it can take people years to figure out what works for them right it's a journey and it's not an easy one by any means and again we are firmly in the camp of michelle deserved to be held accountable for her actions right it is i think important to show all of the playing cards here right they both were on this drug right this was a shared experience. Mm-hmm. So there, there is that. So I don't necessarily buy into the whole involuntary intoxication thing, but uh... I don't, I don't, I, again, I have tried to understand it. I have read up on it and I'm still like, what the actual, well, there's F? not even a lot out there to read <laughs> up on because it's, it's not a thing. thing. Yes. <laughs> that would be why. Which is probably why uh, Dr. Harold K. here believed that the act of texting was more mind-altering than any drug, which I think is a really... That is such a, like... Like, profound thing point, to say. Like, bullseye. <laughs> talk about, like, wow. Yes. This man had some insights that I was like, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, incredibly interesting. He said, and I quote, And the problem with text is that it separates you. It makes you feel less responsible. While it's instantaneous, it still also keeps you away from the human contact. We joke all the time, like, you know, people who are just like keyboard warriors. It's so easy to talk shit when you're on the other side of a computer screen. And that's very much applicable here. I'm getting that vibe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to goad somebody into Mm -hmm. something like this when you're not physically there. And then you can just detach yourself from it. And be like, I'm so upset (laughs) and distraught. (laughs) As she like has the vapors. (laughs) So prosecutors allege that Michelle Carter acted recklessly when she pressured Conrad into suicide. Carter, Michelle Carter went on to tell her peers via text that she had listened over her cell phone as Conrad died. That bitch. I just... She listened, Were though. you bragging? Like, why were you bringing this up? Well, were yeah. you trying Is to it like get a sympathy? Move? Were you just distraught that that did in fact happen i For don't one, i would never listen while that happened no. to anybody i could not i would have called i would be police. calling 911 i would have been driving and finding super excited that he had gotten out of the car and been like yeah. oh thank god please leave let me drive to you don't get out don't get yeah. back in the car right the opposite of what she did correct much. yes 
So on June 16th, 2017, the judge found Michelle guilty of involuntary manslaughter. It was a crazy verdict. I don't think any of us really saw it going in that direction. Mm -mm. He stated prior to his ruling that it was Michelle's phone calls with Roy when he was in the truck gassing himself, as described by her own text messages to friends, rather than the preceding text messages that caused him to go through with killing himself. So this this part is what I found very interesting because I was like, what? What? Sir, you have a valid point. <laughs> so Judge Moniz found that Conrad or no, that. Yes, Conrad had broken the chain of self causation towards his suicide when he exited the truck. Basically, he was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I don't. I've changed my mind. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. When Michelle Carter urged Conrad to return to his truck, that was. The reckless encouragement that ultimately caused his death. And I valid points. Can't help but agree. I was like that. (laughs) You, sir. Good point. He the judge went else went on to say, quote, he takes himself out of that toxic environment that has become, I think, referring to Conrad getting out of Mm -hmm. the car. Uh, He said that it was a clear indication that Conrad, as on his previous suicide attempts, actually wanted to save himself he didn't really want to go through with it did not want to do it but the judge said that michelle had a duty to help him after she had put him in danger by ordering him back into the truck because she didn't do anything she did not and this is a direct quote she admits in a subsequent text that she did nothing she did not call the police or mr roy's family she called no one and finally she did not issue a simple additional instruction Get out of the truck. End quote. That's all it would have taken. I'm sure of it. Honestly. The verdict, of course, stunned many legal specialists because suicide is generally considered, at least legally, to result from a person's free will. Daniel Medwed, a law professor at Northeastern University, said the decision surprised him because the manslaughter charge seemed a stretch to begin with in his line of thinking because Michelle was not at the scene and Conrad ultimately acted alone. He said it was difficult to prove that she caused the death. Mm. Again, do words kill can words kill. I've always been of the mindset that words are more important than I think we give them credit credit for. for. Mm -hmm. They're powerful and they absolutely have the ability to hurt and to wound and to do good and to especially though somebody who was already as wounded as conrad he had all those family issues he had already attempted suicide he was a very sad person i'm not saying that she was like malicious in the sense like i don't necessarily believe that she was like this mastermind who was trying to to, to kill her boyfriend. I think that maybe in her own distorted way, she did think she was trying to help, but nonetheless, she actively encouraged a person to kill themselves and that should not be taken lightly. Not, and I'm glad it was not. I agree. So after the guilty verdict, Conrad's father stated publicly that the family were pleased with the verdict, but that they just wanted privacy. Um, Lynn Roy did go on to appear on the CBS 48 Hours show saying she didn't believe Michelle Carter had a conscience and that she knew exactly what she was doing, which I concur. I mean, I don't know exactly how I feel about that. I, as his mother, though, I don't fault her for feeling that way at for all. Sure. I would probably and it very well could be true. I just I don't know. Doesn't really sit right with me, but I don't have a horse in this race. And who am I to judge? Right. right? 
Michelle Carter remained free on bail pending her sentencing. That was a big deal. People it, were like, people were pissed. Yes. People on, who didn't think that the verdict was going to go yeah. in favor of a conviction were immediately like gaslit into being yeah. like rage filled yep. about this. <laughs> like it, it was just very weird to watch. I mean, I kind of get it to an extent too. Like you just, she was just convicted as guilty, but yet she, why does she get to be let out? I always kind of thought it was because technically this wasn't a violent crime. Like she wasn't there. She didn't physically do it. Also, she was tried as what? A youthful offender. Right. So, I mean, t take it with a grain of salt or a shot of tequila, whatever <laughs> blows your hair back. But she was uh, eventually sentenced on August 3rd, 2017. She was handed a two and a half year term, 15 months to be served in the Bristol County House of Corrections, and the rest of the balance was suspended. In addition, she would serve five years probation. So soon after the sentence was handed down, Michelle Carter's lawyers asked the judge to issue a stay of the sentence until all of the Massachusetts court appeals options were exhausted, which fuck if I know how long that's going to take. So it long. could be forever. The judge did grant the stay with conditions that Michelle Carter stay away from the Roy family. Fair. I mean, <laughs> yes. In an appeal filed in 2018 michelle's attorneys argued that the texts prosecutors presented were a cherry pick to make her look bad and that's like specifically why i mentioned what i did mention yeah because i didn't need to cherry pick i could have shown you the entire transcript and i feel like you Which would probably have felt you the can same. read they oh, are all be linked. out there do I not found worry. a website actually that has all of the different groups of cat like text messages categorized so just with conrad just with camden just with lynn like yeah fun story i couldn't read them i only read bits and pieces but what i did read was enough to make me yeah not not like for the any faint of, of heart <laughs> That's for sure. The appeal reiterated an argument that the defense had previously made that Michelle's texts showing passion for Conrad were never presented, including one in which she encouraged him to get professional help. And these were there. They were. They were. You'll see if you want to. Um, Carter's Michelle Carter's appeal stated that her, quote, words encouraging Roy's suicide, however distasteful to this court, were protected speech, end quote. The appeal also <laughs> don't even get me started on I know. all that. <laughs> My rise. <laughs> the appeal also re reignited the debate about whether someone could legally be found guilty of a crime if they weren't on the scene, which I do agree is a very interesting facet mm -hmm. to this case. Yeah, for sure. But then you read the text and you're like, just kidding. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those things where it can't. There can't be a blanket rule. There can't be one thing that definitively like says that this that is what is wrong and this is what is right because i think in instances like these and i think we're going to see more of this kind of shit as like people who have only lived with this technology start getting older they're eventually some of them are bound to commit crimes <laughs> like for sure i think that we're going to see more of that i think it's a case-by-case -case basis yeah no i agree girl how I else agree. do you do that so the appeal argued that if Michelle's conviction was allowed to stand, and I quote, Massachusetts would be the only state to uphold an involuntary manslaughter conviction where an absent defendant with words alone encouraged another person to commit suicide. End quote. How is this any different than like, I feel like if somebody was online and they told somebody to go and die relentlessly, like cyberbullying, all this stuff, like 
are they not culpable if that person then goes and does that? At least I actually to a degree? think this is worse because oh, yeah. it's somebody that's known. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. But, but I I'm, mean, I agree. It's the same vein, right? There like, are, unfortunately, y'all, a lot of cases out there where children were cyberbullied to the point. I just read an article, a 14 year old girl killed herself in front of sheriff's deputies because she had been bullied to the point where she had been homeschooled and she just didn't want to do it anymore. She ran away from home to go to a party with a 20 year old boy and killed herself in front of the police. I just, what is the world coming to? Honestly, (laughs) you know, that just, to me, I read the article and I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't process. Now, on February 6, 2019, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that Michelle acted with criminal intent when she encouraged Roy into suicide. Therefore, her involuntary manslaughter conviction was ordered to stand and her 15-month prison sentence would be enforced in the near future. Which she began serving February 11, 2019. That was under direct order from a Massachusetts judge. She was like, get your ass to prison. Please, or, finally. Juvenile detention wherever Wherever we're we're locking you up at she had a parole hearing for an early release uh it came after almost two years of unsuccessful appeals this request was denied on september 20th 2019 so sit that ass in jail her lawyers petitioned the case to the supreme court of the united states in july of 2019 based upon first amendment and fifth amendment grounds the first amendment to the united states constitution provides that quote congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press and that is a wildly abridged version of what the first amendment yeah, there's actually a whole lot says of blurbity burbity speech in there. is broadly protected under our constitution but in a lot of ways it's meant to meant to mean that you're not supposed to get any kind of pushback from the government for voicing how you feel. But it is manipulated into a gross, awful monster <laughs> most of the time. Well, and this is the biggest issue I have with our justice system. And part of the reason mm-hmm. why I wanted to start diving into it more and to learn how and why is because so much shit is left up for interpretation. Why? <laughs> why would we not just have something black and white if those if that's supposed to be our fundamental right why would you not just tell me what that is i love america i love all of it but why are we following a document that was written 400 years ago by a bunch of slave owning british people right i just have some questions i have the that's same all. questions <laughs> people take with it what they what they take from it i guess i should say what they want well, and leave like, the rest behind it's just like we see that with religious people any kind of group of people really it's all the same bullshit i mean really. i love the first amendment let's right. talk about some shit Obviously, but like, like not to the degree that people are going to be i still think that your words matter and that mm-hmm. people should be more Careful. conscientious of yes, it yeah of what they're doing and or saying uh and apparently the supreme court has agreed to an extent however it has been recently interpreted that the amendment was meant to protect even the most hateful offensive and obscene speech i always like to tell people that it may protect your right to say it however it does not protect you from consequences like getting fired from your job if you say right. something racist again the forefathers would be clutching their pearls <laughs> And their wigs with what people have interpreted <laughs> this to be. Yeah, I I'm agree. just putting that out there. Mm-hmm. 
So her defense lawyers argued that Conrad had a history of suicide attempts and that the decision to end his life was his own, that Michelle Carter was bewildered over the case against her and that, quote, taking all the text in context, she tried to talk him out of it, end quote. Hmm. They argued in initial hearings that the defendant had broken no law, had a First Amendment right to free speech and was, in fact, a juvenile. So how dare you accuse her of crimes? Our children. Think of the children. Uh, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case in January of 2020, which left that conviction in place. Then on January 23rd, 2020, Michelle was released from prison more than three months early due to good conduct. Apparently, mm-hmm. Massachusetts state law allows inmates to reduce their sentences by 10 days per month for exemplary, exemplary behavior. Uh, which I did not know was a thing until like right yeah. now. Massachusetts, what y'all be doing? I'm very interested in your laws over there. Michelle Carter served 11 months and 12 days of her 15-month sentence. Some experts expected the case to set a legal precedent regarding uh, whether it's a crime to tell someone to commit suicide. Yeah. They also went on to speculate that the ruling may spur lawmakers to codify the behavior highlighted in the case as criminal. The judge had noted that Michelle Carter had willed Conrad Roy's death, that she did not order him out of the truck, and that her actions put him in that toxic environment, quote unquote, which constituted reckless conduct, and that the conduct caused the death of Mr. Roy. That was a direct quote, which is all true. Yes. And while U.S. laws do not allow the lower court decision to bind other courts, legal professionals do believe that it could have a social effect by raising other courts' attention to new digital methods of committing crimes, which we should be keeping up with. I know that the technology has happened really fast. In my 34 years of life, I've seen it go from like zero to, yeah, like Mm -hmm. a thousand million. (laughs) Like it's been a lot, but I mean, It's here. It's not going away. And we should probably keep up with the times. Right. Uh, The case also attempts to redefine the social spectrum in which attitudes and behaviors would qualify as criminal that were not previously considered criminal. So going through text message, et cetera, et cetera, cyberbullying, stuff like that. All the things that we've been talking about. We have to take into consideration. Mm hmm. So in August of 2017, Lynn Roy filed a $4.2 million wrongful death lawsuit for the death of her son against Michelle Carter. Lynn Roy's attorney later reported that this was, quote unquote, resolved without comment, um, was dismissed with prejudice and without costs. So this docket record appearance um, is consistent with an out of court settlement, allegedly, from what we could find Mm -hmm. settlement agreements often contain provisions that limit public comment by the parties, especially in a case like this. Oh, for sure. It definitely makes sense. Suffolk university law professor, Rosanna Cavallero said in an article with a Boston news station that the first question, whether a person can legally cause the suicide of another has already been answered by the Massachusetts Supreme judicial court in Commonwealth V Carter when it declined to dismiss her indictment. The motion argued that as a matter of law, words alone could not sustain a manslaughter charge. A unanimous court firmly rejected that argument. You, unanimous, though. They were not divided. In any way. They were all in an agreement. They said, we do not agree. Yeah. <laughs> we, we reject what you have <laughs> to say adjo- because we, we definitely not- think words can hurt. <laughs> 
Um, so in Massachusetts, involuntary manslaughter is defined as an unlawful killing unintentionally caused by wanton and reckless conduct. Further, Massachusetts defines wanton or reckless conduct as conduct that creates a high degree of likelihood that substantial harm will result to another. It is conduct involving a grave risk of harm to another that a person undertakes with indifference to or disregard of the consequences of such actions. So if you actually read that sentence, that is exactly what Michelle Carter did. 100%. Her conduct created a high degree of likelihood that substantial harm would result in the death or injury to Conrad Roy. Hmm. Point blank period. That's what I'm saying. I see A to B. I don't know. Not everybody does. <laughs> Due to the Massachusetts definition of inv involuntary manslaughter, the case against Michelle centers around one particularly disturbing text that she had actually sent to a friend in September of 2014, two months after after his death. And as we mentioned earlier, it was the one that he, she basically was like, his death is my fault. I could have stopped him. Blah, 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 She blah. literally admitted it, though. She did. Mm -hmm. In writing. Mm-hmm. Don't think the texts that you send are ever going to go away, guys. <laughs> they won't. The internet is forever. Right. And it's vast and people have a lot of free time on their hands. I'm just saying. So her instruction to Conrad to get back into his truck when she knew that the environment in said truck was becoming toxic literally constituted wanton and reckless conduct. Her actions created a situation where there was a high degree of likelihood that substantial harm would result to Conrad, which it did. The judge further pointed to Michelle's failure to act on her knowledge of said toxic environment in the truck, citing Commonwealth v. Levesque. Levesque. I'm really killing <laughs> it today. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, which provides that, quote, where one's actions create a life-threatening risk to another, there is a duty to take reasonable steps to alleviate the risk. The reckless failure to fulfill this duty can result in a charge of manslaughter. And that's not unprecedented, if I recall correctly, in that's our like, legal system. That's literally a thing, right? I feel like, yes. You can, if you can be guilty by... Oh, what is the word? It literally association. Yes. Okay. How is that? I was like, it just left my brain I was like, immediately. Wait, is it easy? Because I think I've got it. If that's a thing, this should be a thing. Well, and I don't, I I don't know. I guess I didn't know or understand what exactly a charge of manslaughter meant. Yeah. But the more I read, the more I'm like, this all makes sense. Mm -hmm. This is applicable to this case. So mm -hmm. I see where the prosecutors were going. Yep. So the judge further stated that, quote, Carter failed to notify the police, Roy's family, or issue a simple additional instruction, like we mentioned, get out of the truck. It would have been that easy, though. Yeah. And in yet another text, she admits that she could have simply saved his life, but she decided against it. And she also wrote, quote, I helped ease him into it and told him it was OK. I was talking to him on the phone when he could when he did it. I could have easily stopped him or called the police, but I didn't. So she knows. That's literally an admission of guilt. Literally, literally that. <laughs> <laughs> so and this is a quote from a gentleman, Matthew Siegel. He's a lawyer with the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. Um they raise concerns about the case to the state's highest court. This is a quote. This is saying that what she did is killing him, that her words literally killed him, that the murder weapon here was her words. 
That is a drastic expansion of criminal law in Massachusetts. I don't agree, but <laughs> I mean, it's valid. Right. I That's can a valid see argument. where he's coming from. Yes. I just do not agree with his evaluation right. of, of the situation. So this is a further quote. Will the next case be a Facebook posting in which someone is encouraged to commit a crime? To commit a crime, Nancy Gertner, a former federal judge and Harvard law professor, asked, this puts all the things that you say in the mix of criminal responsibility. Maybe don't say criminally responsible things. I'm going to need Nancy (laughs) to have a fucking seat. I just and I get it. Like Brie mentioned, it's not black and white. Right. It's not ABC. It's none of those things. There's gray areas. There's shaded areas that we know nothing about. Right. But. In this instance, I think the court's done right. I I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. Now, some of a little bit of aftermath, if you will. Uh, Lynn Conrad's mother continues to work to ensure that in the future, anyone who coerces someone into killing themselves will face harsher punishments. Now, I love what she's doing. Me too. However, I... I don't fully agree with what she's calling for. I know. It's a hot take. I know. Now, she's been calling on state lawmakers to pass Conrad's law, which would require a minimum five-year sentence for anyone who is convicted of such an act. If passed, Massachusetts would become the 43rd state with such a law. Which I didn't actually know. Same. The bill would set the maximum sentence of five years in prison for anyone who intentionally coerces coerces or encourages another individual to die by suicide or attempt to die by suicide by using physical acts or mental coercion that manipulate a person's fears, affections, or sympathies. Now, I feel like five years might be a little much. However, I think it honestly does come back to what we were saying about everything being a gray area. It's a case-by-case basis. For sure. If it was like a minimum of five years, I would... Be like, no way. Right. But, um, I think a maximum of five years seems a little bit more appropriate. Right. Depending. Like, I don't agree with what Michelle did. And I fully believe that if she would have spoke up in a different way, Conrad would still be here. Or at least would have survived that summer. Would have survived that incident. Yes. But. All it would have taken, though, is a 911 call. Yeah. A call to Lynn. A call to Camden. Yeah. A call to literally anyone too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. his mother said that she hopes that something positive can come out of her son's passing and that she will never stop honoring him and carrying him with her which she's still working on the motion passing and all that jazz it was actually stalled due to the covid19 panoramic what was not stalled due to covid the panty it was stalled because of the panty (laughs) So in 2019, a similar situation actually did occur. Uh, In Young Yu pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter after her boyfriend, Boston College student Alexander Urtula, died by suicide. Prosecutors said Yu was abusive towards Urtula and urged him to kill himself. In the two months leading up to Urtula's death, the pair exchanged 75,000 texts Whoa. With about 47,000 coming from you. Some of the messages told him to quote unquote go die and that his loved ones would be better off without him. So 
This is a quote. Many of the messages displayed the power dynamic of the relationship, wherein Ms. Yu made demands and threats with the understanding that she had complete and total control over Mr. Urtula, both mentally and emotionally. That's a quote from then Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rollins. She said at the time she is now, in case you were wondering, the U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts. You go, Miss Rollins. You. What a crazy case, though. I just, I feel so sad. Mm -hmm. Talking about it, researching it, it's just so sad. It's hard. It's really hard. And a lot of people struggle with stuff like this on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And all Michelle Carter had to do was make one phone call to anybody in charge. And like you said, Conrad may still be here. Mm -hmm. We don't know, but maybe. So for the sake of words being important, we're going to say yet again, if you're out there struggling in any kind of way, just remember that you are worth it. We love the you. work is worth it. Mm-hmm. We love you. We are here for you. If you ever need a word, we're going to make sure to post resources if you need them. But I can tell you from personal experience, it's all worth it. Yeah. And that you're safe. It, it does get better. It's hard. It's definitely hard. Got to get through the sucky to get but to the better, right? <laughs> I am very grateful that I did not make more serious decisions me too and that is what i learned from this case Mm -hmm. because i didn't think i'd be here guys so i'm very grateful i'm very grateful for you i'm very grateful for all of our listeners i'm very grateful for this day Mm -hmm. and on that note we're gonna go because i'm sad and i'm tired (laughs) and we gotta i gotta work and it's heavy man this is heavy (laughs) and if i keep talking about it i'll probably cry more so thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you and your support. You have no idea how much it means to us. We get so much, so many positive comments from our friends, family, and listeners. And it's it just true. is fucking Makes great. Makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It really does. <laughs> so please uh, make sure you guys are following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Crime and Spirits Pod on TikTok. We're at Crime and Spirits Podcast. Also, guys, watch out. We're getting a YouTube channel set up. Bum, bum, bum. We don't have any like video recording of us being crazy yet. It's coming soon. But if We're you prefer YouTube to listen to things, we are slowly but surely going to get our catalog up, up there. there yeah. Give me a break, though. It's going to take me some time to learn, but it's coming. So also, if you... we are going into our favorite time of year, which is yes. spooky season. It's about to be October. Yes. October. So if you're on YouTube, go find us. We're on. It's at Crime Spirits Pod on YouTube as well. Yeah. Crime Spirits Podcast. You guys know the drill by now. So any of these locations is where you'll find ingredients, recipes, fun videos showing you how to make each drink, random shit that I find funny that I hope you also find funny. (laughs) Um, If you'd like to follow us personally, you can find us on Instagram. I am at Sue's, not Susan. And I'm at Brie underscore not the cheese. Brie is spelled B-R-E-E. You got it. It's important. Yeah, literally (laughs) not like the cheese. Uh, If you're into what we're doing over here, and we really hope that you are, please go leave us a rating and or review on your preferred platform. It really helps us out. It really makes our day. And it really does make a difference because once in a while I check out the search engines on different like IP addresses and shit. And it definitely helps us get bumped up. I love it when I see us like 
Well, I mean, I have a saved, but sometimes right. <laughs> I just Google search it and I'm like, oh, look at us out I there. Ha- I'll have other people do it for me, like yeah. from their phones. I'm like, look at it up. Look, look us up on Spotify. <laughs> I just want to see. Why are we not in your top? <laughs> That's when we start beefing. We with, be beefing. The, <laughs> with the side eye. Uh. Uh, also, if you guys have any sort of case or cocktail, any sort of anything that you want us to check out, email us at crimeandspiritspodcast at gmail.com. Even if it's just a liquor you want me to put in something. Yeah. Let your girl know I love a challenge. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of our podcast, there is a link for that in the show notes. Feel free to smash that link. And last but not least, it's corny joke time, and I'm definitely going to oh, need it need today. need it so bad. So, here it is. Let's go. I got fired from my job at the bank today because an old lady came in and asked me to check her balance, so I pushed her over. Oh, no. <laughs> but LOL. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I the thought it. of, like, a bank teller uh-huh. pushing over an old lady just really... just. Really quick story. My sister used to be a bank teller, and I Mm. can actually maybe see that. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) All she had was old people at her bank. So, (laughs) we. Oh, I love it. And on that note, we are going to take off. Thank you again for hanging out with us. If you are sipping along with us, please do so responsibly. The last thing we want is for anybody to get hurt or to hurt anybody else. You don't want to be featured on an episode in that way. It's true. It's not worth it, guys. Mm -hmm. So, stay home. Order some food, drink some water, chill out. We love you and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.